This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free, so you don't have to worry about monthly hosting fees. It has built-in creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Or you can record and edit using your favorite audio recording software and upload it straight to Anchor. Anchor will also distribute your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Pocket Casts. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and Anchor will even match you with advertisers as your audience grows. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, Anchor is a pretty great place to start. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H. OR.FM to get started. Two Eves in a Trench Coat. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Madison. It's my turn on the Xbox for the first time in a <laughs> hot minute. I'm going to yeah <laughs> to legally talk about Star Wars the anime. Because now it's, <laughs> it's not just me talking about American animation Star Wars. I can talk about Star Wars the actual on-god anime. Which is, of course, Star Wars Visions on Netflix that came out a like a month, like a like a month or two ago. On at this point, yeah, on Disney Plus. I did my research. I swear, I didn't write down when it was released. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it matters that much. Uh, first episode was September twenty second. Okay, yeah, so a couple months. Yeah, yeah, that was literally right before I started my usually very hectic haunt season. So that explains why I did not remember. <laughs> yeah, and also why we didn't talk about it at like. You know, when this would probably be more relevant. Yeah, because I was working 55 hours a week for a month. (laughs) So we did not record. On top of you also being busy. There were many reasons, but like, that was definitely one of them. Yeah. But I do have some sources for the first time in a hot minute that aren't just like Wikipedia, because I do do quote some some articles. I have inverse.com, denofgeek.com, and polygon.com, and then of course... Our Lord and Savior Wikipedia. Yes. (laughs) So Star Wars Visions is a animated series released on Disney Plus that each of the nine episodes is a self-contained story within the Star Star Wars universe and also completely animated by a different studio. Mm -hmm. There aren't nine different studios some of the studios did double up on episodes and it's interesting which ones doubled up on episodes and i'm not really sure the reasoning why because a couple of them are relatively unknown or mostly known Mm -hmm. for like being animation help for the bigger studios yeah so it was interesting it was definitely interesting seeing which ones got 
two episodes in which studios only did one. Maybe it was like a time thing. Because I'm sure the bigger studios were also working on other stuff. But I'll go through and just explain, like, why it was such a big deal that some of these studios are now a part of Star Wars. The Star Wars universe. I'm hesitant to say canon for some of the episodes. Because some of them are clearly very self-contained, exaggerated stories. And I'll get into that a little bit later. Wait, I was gonna ask if you wanted to briefly maybe oh god <laughs> talk about <laughs> talk about why you specifically wanted to talk about star wars because you've like hinted at being a huge star wars geek but not been like i don't know star wars origin story oh uh so basically over the i was raised in a non-denominational star trek star wars household <laughs> but didn't really care about either of them growing up like yeah i was a fucking kid in the 90s i thought lightsabers were cool but like i didn't really ever care about star wars you know it was always Mm -hmm. something that was like enjoyable as a constant cultural touchstone but like never something that i was specifically into and then the pandemic happened and then because jack had never seen the long form star wars the clone wars animated series he had only seen the original short form one where the episodes were like two minutes of animation. Uh, and that was, uh, fuck, I know his name. It's, he's, I can never remember how to pronounce his last name. Uh, Gendi Tardavosky. You might know him for such things as Dexter's Lab, Symbiotic Titan, Motherfucking Samurai oh. Jack. <laughs> oh yeah he's he's the one with that very 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 distinct style mostly seen in, in samurai jack mm-hmm. and he's done a couple of things like more adult series now like primal which is on adult swim mm-hmm. but he did the original short form star wars the clone wars from 2003 to 2005 and the episodes were like two to three minutes and it was supposed to be okay. Like, it was a sort of promotional thing for the prequels and also, like, filling in gaps of storytelling in between the movies and stuff. And then eventually it was greenlit for the full Clone Wars series, and Jack had never seen that one. And the big full series with, like, full 20, 22-minute episodes uh, ran from 2008 to... Technically 2020, it did get canceled, like, after season six, and then was brought back several years later to have the final Mm -hmm. season, which was a huge deal. Mm. Yeah, it was canceled in about 2014, and then, so you had that big gap of 2014 to 2020, Mm -hmm. and then the final season released, and the animation is just so distinctly, like, crisp and nice and different, and they're on that fucking Disney (laughs) money now. Um, Ooh. Yeah, so we watched all of that over the pandemic, over uh, while we were all stuck at home. And my brain in, you know, this shared trauma state of a global pandemic that we've been in for two years and some change now. Oh, Jesus. That's the thing you're going to hyper focus on. (laughs) And then I did. And now I have a, (laughs) I'm building a set of Mandalorian cosplay armor. For a LARP Ooh. game. 
I 3D printed my helmet. I'm in the process of painting it currently, and then I will be building the rest of the suit. Um, I have a bunch of, like, merch and novels. I mean, all my merch is, like, fan-made stuff. It's, like, keychains of, like, favorite characters and, and merch and some Lego sets. But yeah, I went from zero to a, a hundred on Star Wars, and I still only really care about only very hyper-specific parts. <laughs> like, don't talk to mm-hmm. me about half of the movies. I don't care. <laughs> I like the TV shows. <laughs> I said something kind of controversial in the Discord like a week or two ago, and I said, I don't want to offend any of the Star Wars people <laughs> in the room, but I had just watched Dune, and I was like, why the fuck did anybody make me watch Star Wars when Dune is right there? But we won't get into that. No, listen, that is fair enough. I think... No, you're like the second person who said, like, I love Star Wars, but, like, you got a point. Yeah, because Star Wars is fucking stupid, but that's why I love it. I don't love it because it's an intelligent property. <laughs> I love no, it because I, I didn't it's think so. fun space drama and stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> Their own internal lore is a fucking mess. Like, I love it because she's trash. (laughs) Um, And I only, and again, only hyper-specific parts of it interest me. And most of it is honestly contained to legacy slash what is known as the extended universe that was Mm -hmm. fucking nuked from orbit the minute Disney bought LucasArts and the rights to Star Wars. So you have, like... Mm -hmm. 30, 40 years of work that were um, canon completely scrubbed. And there was a lot of interesting material there. And it includes some of, like, the most well-received and, like, fan-acclaimed video games in the series, too. Which is a shame, because, like, the original Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic video game is amazing. Republic Commando is amazing. And they're not canon anymore. And it feels bad.jpg. (laughs) so yeah uh, my hyper specific focus on star wars is like clones because i think they are and like clones in the clone wars not the prequels specifically like the prequel movies but the um like the animated shows for the clone wars because Mm -hmm. i think the clones as a concept are so unutilized in how terribly tragic they are because so much of star wars focuses on like how cool and badass the space wizards are yeah and the fact that there is an army that is trained to be the best soldiers ever and like artificially like aged so they can immediately go on the front lines and fight and like completely subservient to the jedi some of the jedi are like big homies with them some of them like there is like it is no longer canon but there were a couple of canon instances of like clones and jedis like having relationships in the old lore and like not Mm -hmm. we never see a single instance of a jedi going hey maybe we should give the clones rights (laughs) maybe they should be considered people and not property of the fucking galactic republic that's never addressed and it never will be because Star Wars The Clone Wars is a, technically a kid's show. <laughs> what? Yes, it is a kid's show. It was rated like 12 and up or something. So it's never going to be addressed in any mainstream media that is from Disney for kids. Like it might be readdressed in the comics or something now, 
but there were a couple of stories that dealt with the clones like after the war and their feelings during the war. But again, all of that got scrubbed and it's just ooh, the inherent tragedy of of the clones in Star Wars is the part that is most interesting to me. <laughs> I think the thing that bothers me about like mainline Star Wars is that and the reason why I like Dune so much is because Dune is a lot less interested in like making stuff look cool and is more into like interpersonal relationships and the responsibilities of people with power and what they do with it and what happens to the people that like get trampled on while more powerful people do their own bullshit. Yes, that I will say I will say that is a fault of Star Wars is that it focuses on this big galactic spanning hero's journey. Yeah. And a lot of the focus on especially the mainline series aka the movies is has always had a focus on force users and Jedi that we'd never really get those very intimate stories of like a moisture farmer in the outer rim. <laughs> Or, like, someone just trying yeah. to make their way in the world on fucking, like, chorus. In, like, the the fucking underground, seedy, shitty, terrible under levels of Coruscant. Like, you don't get that in Star Wars in main media, yeah. and it does make me sad. Which is why I like yeah. Visions, because they are self-contained stories that, granted, a lot of them do still focus on Force users and, like, lightsabers, but they are... Because they're self-contained stories, they're allowed to be smaller. <laughs> yeah. But what I liked about Visions, too, is that... And I mentioned this in a previous episode, is that it's weird to me how the Visions episodes were, like, what, 25, maybe 40 minutes max each? Yeah. And all dealing with, like, entirely new characters. But it made more sense to me than Marvel's What If? Which felt very rushed yeah with characters that already exist and i just i haven't like sat down and examined what the problem is exactly it's but it's probably because and i mean this is just me theorizing i do want to say it's probably because as a universe star wars as a cultural phenomenon is a lot more accessible than the intricacies of marvel and Marvel has only really mm. gotten accessible because of the MCU. Yeah. And the problem is because it's tied to those specific versions of the characters, you have to have previous knowledge of the movies in some capacity to understand what the fuck is happening in What If. Whereas Visions, mm -hmm. you just have to know that lightsabers, space wizards. <laughs> so I feel like that's probably why Visions feels more accessible to someone who yeah. may not be super into Star Wars, just because you you only have to have a basic understanding that it's a space opera with wizards and light swords <laughs> and some funky little aliens. Like that's it. You don't need to know much yeah. more than that. You don't need for visions. You don't even know need to know anything about who the fuck Anakin Skywalker is, who the fuck Luke and Leia are, who the fuck Chewbacca is. Who like you don't need to know anything about the mainline series to to watch visions and and appreciate it as a star wars property mm -hmm. which is nice it's refreshing <laughs> not everything has yeah. to be tied into a the main series yeah my second hot take is that i have almost fallen asleep every time i try to watch a star wars movie 
but I really liked Visions. So <laughs> No, that's fair. So I will say, I like the prequels for the memes and the memes only. They have not aged well. <laughs> the memes ha- uh, the, the the memes the memes have aged well. The prequels themselves have aged very poorly, and that is a mix of the things that they were like lambasted for when they were coming out, which is that like the writing is terrible. It's because the writing was being done while it was filmed oh like the third hobbit movie which everybody loved yeah it was just constantly being rewritten like i think there's like a a pretty like well-known famous interview with some some of the actors from the prequels that were like are we gonna get any lines today george (laughs) like do, do we know what we're gonna say today the answer was usually no and that's why a lot of the dialogue is so bad oh that's not good yeah and it sucks because i mean this is a personal point of contention that hayden christensen got absolutely like fucking burned at the stake for his betrayal oh is that why he has that weird sand line no but that's well that is that line is actually because he's a teenager who can't talk about his feelings and is alluding to the fact that he was a slave and his mother died in his arms on Okay. A desert planet. So that's probably why he doesn't like sand. Um, <laughs> but he was absolutely... Like, this isn't giving me any news for anyone who is into Star Wars. But he was absolutely, like, put on a stake and burned alive for his portrayal of Anakin Skywalker. Which, honestly, genuinely wasn't his fault. It Like, they didn't have... Like, there's only so much that even uh, Christopher Lloyd can do with <laughs> shitty writing. So, like, what Mm -hmm. hope is this basically newcomer, Hayden Christensen, going to do with the same terrible material? Which is why he was only, like, the major footnote in his acting career is Anakin Skywalker, and then he literally disappeared from the face of the earth and, like, lives on a farm and, like, doesn't really post on social media and just talks about how much he loves his daughter. Oh, man. Last time I checked. Although there is, I will say, there has been an a Hayden Christensen renaissance, which I think is wonderful because truly nothing that happened in the prequels was his fault. Genuinely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that brief summary of <laughs> why you're into Star Wars now. My brief, let me, my brief 20 minute summary. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I thought I was going to go on for longer. So 20 minutes is, is pretty good considering, but yeah. So uh, my brain grabbed me by the throat and shook me so hard my teeth rattled and said, <laughs> Star Wars is your hyperfocus now, and you're not going to be able to escape it. I, we don't know if this is going to, to suddenly stop anytime soon, or if this is going to turn into another 15 years and counting, like World of Warcraft. So, we'll see. Oopsies. Oh boy. Huh, I could... <laughs> I, won't, I will not get into that right now. <laughs> but, so going back to Visions... I will I'm gonna go through the studios uh just as like a quick why it's cool that these specific studios were picked, what they're known for, which episodes they did, and then I will get into an episode by episode breakdown. Depending how long that takes me, because it is nine episodes, this may be a two-parter. I'm gonna try and keep it to a a one-part episode though, just because there are some episodes that I don't have a lot to say about because mm-hmm. I was either neutral or I didn't like it that much. So, mm-hmm. but to start off, we have Kamikaze Duga, which animated the first episode of the series, 
the duel. Uh, and they pride themselves as being a quote-unquote half-breed studio, specializing in blending CGI production with traditional 2D cell animation and, like, coloring. So they use, like, 3D models and have, like, 2D colors on them. They were founded in 2003, and the founder, uh, Junpei Mizusake was previously enrolled as a I don't know if if uh, they were an animator or not but they did work originally at Studio 4C oh okay yeah so Kamikaze Duga has not from what I could tell from from my research like animated a full series they're mostly known for doing mm. like commercials music videos and anime openings and endings and they're actually best okay. known for doing all of the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure openings. Oh, okay. Which is wild, because I just started watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and I've gone absolutely unhinged on it, and we <laughs> binged the first two seasons in, like, a week. Oh, man. Anyway, I, ca- I can't believe I slept on it, but that's besides the point. I- I'm in deep <sighs> now. It's great. But they did the opening animations for seasons one and two of jojo's bizarre adventure in uh starting in 2012 the opening for stardust crusaders which is season three in 2014 and the second part of season three because it had enough episodes to be split up into two parts uh which was also in 2014 and they did not do part five or six uh those had pretty normal like 2d animated openings as far as i can tell i haven't gotten there yet but they Mm -hmm. were brought back to do the opening for the newest season of jojo's bizarre adventure stone ocean which just came out this year like this month actually in 2021 so i'm glad they brought them back because like their intros are very dynamic and i think they're very fun yeah i think they're like the blend really works and i remember the first time i watched the first season and it's just unhinged enough to match how wild the show is yeah and then they go full ham like a whole hog with (laughs) with part two i prefer the part two opening just because i love the vibes of it yeah everybody likes season two but i love the opening theme for season one and i think it's slept on personally but oh no i love part one too like yeah i think it's so cool that it's like shot for shot recreations of the manga panels for the most part Mm -hmm. and it's just visually very interesting that it gives you the entire story like condensed into a minute and a half yeah summary at the beginning of every episode and once you're at the end of season one you can go back and watch the entire like full opening and you're like oh hey they told us about everything that was gonna happen Because most people skip the opening. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is up with people who skip it? I don't know. I mean, if I'm halfway through the season, I'm more likely to skip it. But like for the first couple of episodes, I'll I'll watch through it every time. <sighs> but if I'm in a binge mood, I will start skipping. <laughs> no, yeah. no holds I just, barred. It, it it bothers me when the opening is really good, especially if I'm watching something with my sister and she's like skip, and I'm like, but I really like this song. She do- she doesn't care. Oh my <laughs> like, god, she'll the- skip it the youths i know god um but moving on because they're one of the studios that only have one episode studio colorido did the episode tattooing rhapsody 
They're a studio subsidiary of Twin Engines, which is a anime planning and production company. So Twin Engines, as far as I could tell, doesn't like do animation, but they plan and do production and outsourcing for anime series, it seems like. Studio Colorido hasn't done a whole lot. They they seem to mostly be known for Pokemon Twilight Wings, which is an original net animation series that was released on YouTube by the Pokemon Company. Hmm. Twilight Wings is inspired by Pokemon Sword and Shield, but isn't like a part of the mainline television series. So other than that, they like they haven't really done anything of note, which is wild because Tatooine Rhapsody just on visuals alone is like one of my favorite episodes. So I hope they get more yeah. work because I really like their vibes. Yeah, uh, I, I just looked up the parent company to an engine and they've been around since, oh, they've only been around since 2014. Yeah. But they've worked on Vinland Saga, Dororo, A Whisker Away, which is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've worked on like these pretty well-received, pretty well-known titles. Yeah. And they're actually, Studio Colorido is not the only subsidiary of Twin Engines on this list. Like, there are two, mm-hmm. yeah, there are two studios that are both under Twin Engines, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But then there's also Studio Trigger, who did two episodes. Uh, they, they are responsible for both the Twins and the Elder, which, unless you are intimately familiar with Studio Trigger's style... They are completely different visually, so you wouldn't expect them to have been done by the same studio. Mm-hmm. But Studio Trigger is best known for Kill la Kill in 2013, Little Witch Academia in 2017, and Darling in the Franks, Franks, Franks from 2018. And Studio Trigger has only been around since 2011. So they actually have like some pretty heavy hitters on their list for being a relatively new studio. Yeah. Like they're made up of people from like different studios Mm -hmm. that were very good where they were. So I'm not surprised that they started and they came out with some of the most popular anime in the past decade. So yeah, I think it was founded by former Gainax employees, which is like a really well known, Mm -hmm. well known and established studio. So like, you're right, it is not surprising that they, Studio Trigger hit the bricks running and is known for its very dynamic style mm-hmm. for, for all of the stuff that it does. And it seems to have, like, the two different styles. Like, you have the more kill-la-kill, darling in the Franks style that is more, like, snappy and pushes the limits of, like, on-model characters and is known for being a little more big and wild. And then you have, like, the, the mm-hmm. smaller, more regular stuff that that's, like, Little Witch Academia that looks a little more and seems to be animated a more, like, more traditionally. Like, they don't break the limits of their character models as much in, in Little Witch Academia. Mm-hmm. As opposed to Kill a Kill, which is buck wild visually. <laughs> Cinema Circus is the next one on the list. They did one episode, The Village Bride. They were founded in 2008 by former 
production IG and Bones members. And mm. Cinema Circus is best known for their work on Code Breaker in 2012. Eure- oh. Eureka 7, Pocket Full of Rainbows, which I believe is the Eureka 7 movie in 2009 made an abyss in 2017 and review starlight in 2018 oh they've worked on some i wouldn't say big ones yeah i wouldn't say big ones because i feel like if i've heard of it that doesn't really mean much (laughs) they definitely have done a lot of work both on being additional animators on like theatrical release anime movies and then also doing work Mm. on anime series it seems like from what i could tell okay Production IG is probably the biggest name on this list. Yes. Uh, if not the biggest name on this list. Uh, they're responsible for the episode The Ninth Jedi. They were founded uh, in 1987. And they're known for things like Ghost in the Shell from 1995. Neon Genesis Evangelion Death and Rebirth from 1997. Neon Genesis Evangelion, the end of Evangelion in 1997. <laughs> you know, just just some small shows you might have heard of. Just some small little indie projects you might have heard of. <laughs> uh, they also did Fooly Cooly, the original one, and the, the new one that came out recently from 2001, 2000 to 2001. They also did the animated cutscenes in Persona 5 from 2016 so they have a pretty big resume of anime anime movies and like animated cutscenes for video games and they've been around forever Mm -hmm. science saru is the next studio they did t0b1 or toby and the final episode in the series akakiri they were founded in 2013 science saru utilizes a hybrid animation method that combines hand-drawn and digital animation, including flash, which is Hmm. a technique not previously used in Japanese animation. Like, flash is super big in American animation, but not in anime from Japan. They do things Mm -hmm. differently, obviously, because it looks so fucking different. But I think it's cool that they have sort of apparently brought flash uh animation into like anime Mm -hmm. and it it does show because both of science saru's episodes are visually the most distinct of the series Mm -hmm. like barring the obviously 3d animated one or 3d hybrid one like Mm -hmm. toby and akakiri are the most visually distinctive of the entire uh, nine episodes yeah their first release ever the first thing that they worked on was the food chain episode of the american animated series adventure time oh yeah they did an episode for adventure time in 2014 that's cool yeah and then they're more well known for anime from uh they did inu o which came out this year Devilman Crybaby, which came out in 2018. And Keep Your Hands Off Izuken from 2020, the Hmm. one about the like three middle school girls. Yeah. Yeah. Which is still on my list. I have not seen it yet, but I've heard I've heard really good things about it. 
Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it either, and I feel like I made a huge mistake because I watched a lot of trash the season it came out, and I should have watched that instead. Oh no. <laughs> um, and then the final studio is Gino Studio, which are responsible for the episode Lop and Ocho. They were founded in 2015, and they're the other studio that is a subsidiary of Twin Engine. Mm. Most of its staff actually came from the defunct studio Ming- Manglobe. Oh. Yeah, they were... So Manglobe became Gino Studio, basically, when it was, oh, like, okay. bought by Twin Engine. They're best known for the series Pet from 2020, Golden Camui? Cam- Camu, Camui. Oh, go- yeah, Golden Camui? Yeah, Golden Camui. From 2018 to 2020, like, that's one of the biggest names on their on their list of stuff. Uh, and then also finishing the movie Genocidal Organ from 2017, which was taken over from the previously now defunct studio. They ended up finishing mm-hmm. the project. I feel like I heard about this because I remember waiting for Genocidal Organ to come out. And I can't remember if I actually watched it because it was kind of lackluster when it did come out. Because, like, Manglobe did... Samurai Champloo, they did mm. Dead Man Wonderland, mm-hmm. Gangsta, Samurai Flamenco. Like, they did these shows that were really well received, but I guess they filed for bankruptcy in 2015. So. Yeah, and then they just, they were the people who stayed, I guess, became the, the foundation of the new studio that is now under Twin Engine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those are the studios. There are some. I like how it is a combination of, honestly, in comparison, relatively unknowns, and then, like, one of the arguably biggest heavy hitters in the game. Mm-hmm. Like, I like how it's sort of all over the place. They didn't just specifically pick out, like, production IG and Bones and whatever big studios. Mm-hmm. They sort of sprinkled it throughout the, uh, the, the industry. Yeah, I mean... It is interesting because I think a lot of anime fans would know Production IG, Madhouse, stuff like that. Yeah. But these kind of smaller studios seem to be made up of people who are either from those bigger studios or, like, connected to them in some way. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of them are are founded by people who left the bigger studios, and a lot of the time... Mm-hmm. In the credits, like, on Wikipedia, it's like, they worked under the bigger studio for this project. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder how awkward Mm -hmm. that was. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I assume it's pretty common, because that's, like, on every studio page. It's like, these people either went to school together or this person left this bigger studio. So I assume that's how most of them get started, is that they start out in, like, a big place like Madhouse and then create their own thing. Yeah. It's it's interesting, too, how they all seem to sort of carve out their own space. Like, there are mm-hmm. there are so many studios that get their hands on all kinds of different projects, and there doesn't seem to be sort of, like, an oversaturation of too many studios, it seems. Because there's so many different things that they can focus on. Like, some of these, some of these studios, like, specifically... Kamikaze Duga, like, they're mostly well-known for not doing full series, but doing, like, openings and commercials. hmm Yeah. Um, I think I'm gonna have to do, like, a deep dive into the industry, but 
there are a lot of studios that kind of spring up and die pretty quickly. That's fair. Yeah. And I this also, like, the fact that so many people from newer studios are just from bigger ones does not surprise me that the industry is not very diverse, especially when it comes to, like, having women on their staff. Yeah, no, that's fair. Like, I'm not surprised that the studios that seem to survive are primarily founded by people who worked at the bigger studios. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with that, we can actually, like, get into the nitty-gritties of the episodes. But we are already at 42 minutes, so I do think this is going to end up Oops. being a two-parter. Oops. <laughs> I talked about Honestly, Star Wars. Honestly, it might be... It might be that I ended up cutting, like, a half hour of tangents, so... It might just be two shorter episodes than we were expecting. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> but episode one is The Duel, which was written by Takahashi Okazaki and directed by ooh, Takanobo Mizuno. Jesus. Every time I have to pronounce someone's name, I just, just this immense sense of guilt. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I look it up, I swear. But this is the episode that is animated by Kamikaze Duga. It is set in an alternate history, which is interesting because this is one of the only episodes that specifically confirms it is not a part of mainline canon. Mm. Like some of the episodes can technically fit into mainline canon and some of them are just completely off the rails. Uh, But this one specifically is in an alternate history 20 years after a war between the feudal Jedi Empire and a renegade Jedi sect called the Sith, a lone wanderer known only as the Ronin witnesses a legion of former stormtroopers attempting to besiege a small village. The Ronin fights the leader of bandits, a self-declared Dark Lord of the Sith, armed with a heavily modified lightsaber, which looks like an umbrella. While his droid saves the villagers, I will cut it there because the rest of it is spoilers and I don't want to spoil the actual, like, twists of episodes when people watch them. Mm -hmm. But this one is, again, it's the 3D cel-shaded style. It's actually the only episode that is completely in black and white except for red, which is used for the Sith Lord's lightsabers. And I think, like, Blaster Fire, too, is also done in red just to make it pop. Mm -hmm. But visually, it's very striking uh, because it is black and white. It does make it feel very much like an old school movie, Mm -hmm. which is cool because it is so very clearly based on, um, you know, Yojimbo and the Seven Samurai and also Lone Wolf and Cub, like, the very traditional critically acclaimed, well-known samurai movies. Yeah. Um, I really liked it because I think George Lucas has said that Star Wars is inspired by, like, samurai movies. Oh, you... I liked seeing... (laughs) Uh, quote-unquote inspired. He basically stole wholesale from several... Yeah. From... If it was an Akira Kurosawa film, he stole from it as inspiration, Mm -hmm. basically. (laughs) (laughs) But it was cool to see, like, that style and genre 
being created by people who are probably far more intimately knowledgeable about what it means and what you can do in that kind of story. Yeah. I mean, that was something that I personally like really liked about this episode specifically was because it's a story being told in that traditional like lone ronin wandering samurai story Mm -hmm. format that a lot of classic japanese movies have especially akira kurosawa's who is like the most if not singularly outside of japan known director of like the most famous samurai movies Mm -hmm. i like that it was actually like written and created by people who that's those are stories that they are intimately and inherently familiar with because it's a part of their their actual culture instead of a white dude stealing it in the 60s yeah it felt a lot less like someone outside of the culture picking up those the parts that look cool yeah (laughs) yeah like it felt less like a child playing with toy soldiers and more like someone creating a story out of them and like understanding the cultural significance of the things that they were doing. Yeah. So I will say that after seeing all of the series, but especially like the first episode, which is done in this very traditional style, both visually and like storytelling wise, it did genuinely really bother me that a lot of my white friends who are into Star Wars immediately wrote off visions after one or two episodes just being like oh i don't like anime or oh i don't like this this or this aspect of this animated show like it's just not vibing with me and i didn't say it anything at the time but like i really want my white star wars friends to examine why like take a minute and examine why this animated property is the one that they don't like Mm -hmm. compared to all of the other animated Star Wars properties. Because some of them are also very big fans of the Clone Wars, like me. And I, like, I really, really want my white friends who are Star Wars fans to maybe examine why the series that is singularly produced by one of the cultures George Lucas appropriated the most from is the one that they don't like it's also weird to say you don't like anime as a whole because anime isn't a genre it's basically the term we've given to all japanese animation and it's the same as saying i don't like movies yeah it's (laughs) it's not a genre it's a style It's like a medium for storytelling, like movies, and there are some distinctive style choices, but it's, it doesn't make any sense to say you don't like anime as a whole, unless you also don't like TV shows or also don't like movies. If you don't like other types of animation, because that's all anime is short for. It's just the specific Japanese animation. It's, it's just, I don't know. I had a, I just want my friends to... Maybe examine why, regardless of if they have not been able to get into anime before, Mm -hmm. why specifically this is the Star Wars property that they just don't Mm -hmm. like. Yeah, it's a little curious. 
because that feels a little suspicious, genuinely. <laughs> and I don't yeah. mean that in like a, haha, I've caught you, you're secret racist sort of way. <laughs> but it does feel like it's a very unexamined take mm -hmm. when all of these are harmless, self-contained stories that don't impact the main canon at all, except for literally one of them, and it doesn't even impact the canon, it just explicitly takes place in mainline canon. Mm -hmm. Like, none of this fucks with anything else that's happening in Star Wars. Like, I can understand not liking the very bombastic, very stylistic Studio Trigger episode, because that's a lot, yeah. even for someone who watches anime. But on a whole, and like specifically this first one, the fact that it is basically Seven Samurai and Lone Wolf and Cub reimagined once again in Star Wars, it just, it feels icky. Yeah. In a way that like, I can't really put a finger on, but it just, it feels like it, it's something that requires a little bit of self-reflection from white Star Wars fans. Mm -hmm. If this is the one Star Wars property that they're going to have a chip on their shoulder about. Yeah. But as far as the actual episode itself goes, I really like the duel visually. I think, like once again, it's incredibly dynamic. The style is, is sort of not for everybody because it doesn't, I wouldn't call it smooth because it is like 3D models colored in a 2D way. So there's no like squash and stretch in between frames. It's all very kind of... It can feel a little jarring because it is mm -hmm. very jittery in some places. But the fact that it's all black and white with just the bright pops of red is very, ooh, very nice. Uh, love to have a protagonist who's just doing his own thing. That's always nice. But yeah, as, as in terms of storytelling too, it is a very basic episode. There's nothing like particularly exciting about it one way or the other. I feel like it is strong enough to stand on its own as an episode. And I enjoyed it. I like the duel. It's I feel like it was a good opening episode for yeah. for Visions as a series. It was good because it showed it was like like pretty muted mm -hmm. in terms of like how experimental anime can get. Yeah. And I think I will just have this moment for the rest of my life, but it was nice to see 3D animation that isn't X-Arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think X-Arm has just ruined me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, And I will say that it it is nice as like a, a standalone episode two, because you can just take mm -hmm. it as face face value and it could be like a more alternate history cyberpunky like alternate history take on feudal japan yeah like, it doesn't even it doesn't even have to be related to star wars they could just be space wizards with glow swords and it works mm -hmm. perfectly fine on its own and i think that's actually like a strength of the episode yeah. quite honestly is that it stands so strongly on its own both in this alternate take on star wars canon and like on its own is like this cool alternate history sort of cyberpunky thing. Mm -hmm. But moving on, episode two is Tatooine Rhapsody, which is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, if not my favorite episode, uh, it is written by Yasumi Atarahashi and directed by Taku Kimura. Uh, and it is animated by Studio Colorido. And it is set 
during the Clone Wars, starring a Jedi Padawan named Jay who attempts to escape from the Clone War, only to stumble upon a hut named G. G offers to take Jay in if he becomes the lead singer of G's rock band, and <laughs> Jay accepts. Uh, years later, during the reign of the Galactic Empire, the members of Star Waver, which is the band, are hunted by the bounty hunter Boba Fett because G's relative, Jabba the Hutt, wishes to execute him due to G not wanting to be part of his family's crime syndicate. <laughs> the premise is, a, is very silly, but it is one of the only episodes that is explicitly slotted into mainline canon. It doesn't have any effect on the movies or anything, but it is it is a fun sto story starring well-known and established characters. Mm -hmm. And for those who are, are like not super familiar, Boba Fett is the very famous Mandalorian hunter with the green helmet and like the green, red, and yellow paint scheme and the jetpack. And uh, he's played by Tamora Morrison, my beloved who also voices him in this in the English dub, which is wonderful. I, I love the Tamora Morrison renaissance <laughs> that they've been bringing him back for a whole bunch of different Star Wars stuff recently. He's getting the respect he deserves, and I appreciate it. And then Jabba the Hutt, the big fat slug boy. Everyone should know him because he's gross and big and is a big slug <laughs> and is the reason why we have Leah... Leia in the Leia Leia Jesus, we have Princess Leia in the very skimpy uh, metallic bikini that has been in people's spank banks for decades. I want to ask what the fuck the context is, but I don't want to be here for another two hours. So the context of that is literally just like, oh boy, Jabba is an evil fuckhead, and like the huts on a whole are like canonically kind of evil shitheads who run giant crime syndicates. Like, uh -huh. they're responsible for a big part of slavery in the Star Wars universe. Uh -huh. And so he captures Princess Leia, who is the princess of a planet, and to humiliate her, puts her in a skimpy, out skimpy outfit and, like, chains her up next to him. Like, that's it. It's uh -huh. gross. And it is literally, like, just for the intended for the male gaze, like, Carrie Fisher repeatedly went on record saying fuck that outfit fuck that bikini like i hated it it was terrible i love that i fucking strangled that huge disgusting slug like it was literally just for fan service and it and it sucks yeah that's gross yeah it's gross but she does uh straight up murder him by like strangling him to death which is wonderful mm -hmm. but job is gross he's a gross slug. appreciate the executive decision to put carrie fisher in a bikini for men to look at basically yeah because she was also dealing with some pretty serious like eating disorder issues while she was on star wars and i think for a significant portion for the rest of her life like that was a a, a big thing because of just mm. like how controlling they were of her appearance during star wars yeah i could be mis i could be misremembering that but i'm pretty sure i'm not but yeah he dies horribly which is what he deserves uh <laughs> but this ep this episode of visions is really fun it is the only again it's the only episode to feature established characters it's very chibi and it's very brightly colored and like very bouncy it is just mm -hmm. visually it's very fun 
I love Chibi Boba Fett. Like, he's so cute. I think I, I heard that apparently people didn't like this episode. Well, and... they, can su- they can suck my fucking dick. Because it's <laughs> a very good episode. It's very fun. It's delightful. It's so good. It's so fun. It's one of the only episodes that is, like, a lighthearted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the rest of these are all, like have such high stakes in some capacity or something goes wrong. This is the only episode that is genuinely like ends on a lighthearted note. Yeah. And visually it's just really fun. Like there's an like clearly an Oni inspired alien mm-hmm. that like is not an alien type that we've ever seen before in Star Wars but visually looks very cool. It's got found family tropes. It's the token musical episode. I love that we, a hut who is traditionally a, a pretty evil online species being like, fuck you. I don't want to be part of your shitty crime syndicate that preys on the galaxy. I want to go do my own thing mm-hmm. and have my little, my funky little found family. Tatooine also looks really cool in this style because it it is primarily set on Tatooine, which is like a very well-known planet in Star Wars. But it, it just looks visually so cool in this style specifically because it's so bright and colorful. It doesn't have like the usual sort of orangey yellow desert filter mm-hmm. that it gets in live action media. Um, Like it's it's just very bright and colorful and I like it a lot. And we get to see the big pod racing arena from the prequel movies, which is also very fun. <laughs> Overall, I like this episode. I think it's super fun, and I hope that the characters in it get referenced in some capacity in other media, because I think it's very, very cute. Yeah, and their song is cute. I liked it. Yeah. Oh, something I forgot to mention for the first episode, a book actually came out. Mm -hmm. A book that was inspired by the episode The Duel came out in October of this year, called Star Wars Visions... Ronin, and it's by Emma uh, Mako Candon, which is really cool. I have not read it yet. Yeah. I don't know if it's any good or not. Like, I don't have any opinions on it because I haven't read it, but I will probably pick it up because I do like the, again, the universe that they created for the first episode. So I will probably end up buying it and checking it out. But mm-hmm. I do, going back to episode two, I hope, even if it's just like a little Easter egg or, like, a nod or something. I hope the characters from Tatooine Rhapsody get, like, referenced at some point. Because it was... They're very cute. I like them a lot. It's very fun. Yeah. Um, I think I looked up the band that actually did the song. Or, like, I tried to. Because it sounded familiar. But mm. I can't remember if I actually found anything. Oh. I feel like I did. Mm. And then didn't write it down. <laughs> no! Because I am a fool. Oh, also in the English adaption, in the English dub, I forgot that Joseph... I didn't write down any of the actors except for, like, one episode, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the main character in the English dub. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot that and didn't realize it. Yeah, no, I can't actually... I don't actually know. Like, just looking up who did the song in Tatooine Rhapsody doesn't turn up anything like it turns up the actual person who did like the full soundtrack Mm -hmm. so who knows i don't know no i was gonna say because it sounds like a band wrote it and it's not just like something the person who wrote the score wrote 
Yeah, like, that's why I'm not sure. Like, it sounded in a, a familiar enough style that, like, I could have sworn I looked it up and figured out who it was, but I guess I looked it up and went, well, Google's not telling me in one page. Guess no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> but episode three, written by... Whoa, hold on. Do you want me to like, say I... it? No, like, I feel like I look it up and I listen to it, listen to a pronunciation of it, and then I sit down to record and my brain just, like, tosses that out the window. <laughs> the key, you haven't used this for, like, a couple of hours, so you can toss this, right? Yeah. Written by Hiromi Wakabayashi? Wakabayashi? Mm-hmm. And directed by Hiroyuki Imashi? Imaishi? Imashi. Imaishi? Imaishi, yeah. Uh, this one's animated by Studio Trigger. This is the one that is a make or break for a lot of people, especially <laughs> if they are unused to anime. But the setup for this one is in the aftermath of the Empire's defeat, the remnants of the Imperial military begin construction of two conjoined star destroyers that house a large super laser capable of destroying planets. Uh, using Sith alchemy... Which is not the weirdest part of that <laughs> setup, because Sith alchemy is an established thing. But the fact that they're like, we're gonna do Death Star 3, <laughs> Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> um, is kind of wild. Uh, but using Sith alchemy, they, are, they create two Force-sensitive biological twins named Kari and Om, who they then train in the dark side of the Force... The twins eventually become the leaders of the uh, remnant faction of the military and plan to use their super faction, super weapon to destroy the <sighs> New Republic. Um, I don't like this episode. <laughs> oh, you don't? I don't like this episode. And it's not because of how it's animated. It is. It mostly has to do with the concept itself is just generally genuinely like not my favorite mm -hmm. because again they they're like what if we did the death star for the third time <laughs> but joining two giant starships together and visually it looks very stupid <laughs> like genuinely it looks dumb but the twins is in the hard line like kill a kill style of animation where it's very dynamic and like kind of yes. reality breaking it is the most anime of anime of anime episodes. And genuinely, from what I could tell, a lot of reviewers actually really liked this one. Hmm. Like the, the Polygon article and the, I think, Den of Geek article. Like they, like a bunch of the articles that I was looking at liked this episode a lot. I straight up don't. <laughs> I don't like this episode. Uh, the dialogue was <sighs> stiff. Like, the voice mm -hmm. acting, like, and I mentioned this in the in the previous guest episode, but, like, the dialogue was not poorly acted in English. It was weirdly stiff, and that was clearly giving these experienced voice actors some issues. Mm -hmm. And even the subs for the original in Japanese version are like weirdly translated. Like they don't like it's 
not translated in a way that is a sentence a normal person would say. <laughs> like, I'm not sure where the localization went wrong, but it is, I think they may have done a one-to-one translation and that may be why it's a little bit funky, mm-hmm. but it just, it doesn't read like a real, like none of the dialogue reads or sounds like real sentences a human person speaking English would say. I wonder if that was on purpose because it is a very kind of reality-breaking style animation. So they were like, let's just go for it and have it be entirely nonsensical. Because I remember (sighs) I watched the sub and it felt very like... It was like the kind of thing that... Like, if we're going to create a stereotypical nerd character in, like, a 90s movie, like, this is the kind of shit they'd watch, which would get them beat up. Like, that's what it felt like. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Um, I can't say one way or the other if it was done on purpose. I mean, for me, it was just, it kept taking me out of the headspace to enjoy the episode, uh, which sucks. Mm -hmm. Because visually, visually, this episode is a treat. Visually, the animation is incredible and dynamic uh the fight scenes are genuinely amazing feats of animation Mm -hmm. but there's just like there is just something about it that left me bored like genuinely bored uh and wanting more like either more elaboration in the story less focus on the fight scenes like i don't know what would have worked to make it better for me. But like, I just, there's just something about it that like, this is literally my least favorite episode. I think the other episodes focused on characters and the twins put so much of the focus on the fight at the end, more than kind of establishing those characters. So you weren't really connected to them by the time they started this fight. Yeah. And then again, that wasn't helped by like the really awkward not real sounding dialogue either yeah i feel like it was just very hard to connect with them as characters because they clearly the idea that studio trigger went with for this episode was what if we did luke and leia again but made them fucked up and evil (laughs) which like okay sure but it's just i don't know there's just something about it that wasn't working for me Like, Mm -hmm. I don't have any issues with how it was animated or how it looked visually. Again, Studio Trigger is well known for that style of animation for a reason, because they're they're fucking good at it. But it's Mm -hmm. just, there are certain things that the required suspension of disbelief also took me out of, like, the enjoying this episode headspace. Like, fights in space with no helmets... Oh, yeah, I asked Zach about that, and I was like, is that, like, an established Star Wars thing that people just fight out in space with no helmets? Nope. Okay. It's not. Okay. Yeah, no, it's not. Like, if you're a Jedi, you will... You you are not immune to the frozen grasp of space. (laughs) So, like, like the, the fucking fights in space with no helmets... The nine billion lightsabers on, I think, Am's suit. Like, the the suspension of disbelief required, it was just, it was too much. Like, there was, just, again, there was just something that wasn't vibing with me. Mm-hmm. I also, like, visually, I do, visually, the one thing I do hate the most about this episode is the conjoined Star Destroyers. I hate it. It's so <laughs> stupid. Because, like, what are, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? 
if a resistance fighter kamikazes their starship into that bridge connecting your two stupid butt plug ships like what are you gonna do you're (laughs) fucked um like as a concept it's so stupid that's probably the one part i have the biggest issue with is the conjoined two star destroyers (laughs) i also don't like that the episode ends on tatooine of all planets in the galaxy my theory is it's because of the double suns that tatooine has for like the the twin parallel and that just makes me more annoyed than anything (laughs) Mm. uh because there's also like i love astromech droids those are like the the little rounded dome top boys like r2d2 but there the twins astromech droid is called r u d zero r duo you know get it because they're Twins? Uh... I don't like that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, genuinely, like, this is this is the episode I have not rewatched. And probably won't. Because I just, mm-hmm. there's something about it I, I genuinely don't like. Visually, it is a feast for the eyes. It is wonderful visually. If you care about coherent storytelling, this is probably not the episode for you. Yeah, I feel like if you watched it and then kept all the sound but cut out all the dialogue, it'd be fun. Yeah, honestly, it wouldn't be too bad if mm-hmm. you just don't uh, listen to anybody talk. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps it might be a better experience. But yeah, I mean, I I hate to sort of end part one on on a more negative note. But again, like, the entire episode is not a wash. Everyone should at least wash, watch the twins once because visually once again it is incredible my opinion on not liking it seems to be the outlier in popular opinion Mm -hmm. at least in terms of published reviews for star wars visions a lot of the reviewers seemed to really like this episode so my opinion seems to be the outlier in the fact that i didn't like it all that much Mm -hmm. so your mileage may vary this may be your favorite episode you you may never rewatch it like me. Who knows? I'm not going to make that deciding fact for you. That's up to personal opinion. But next time I will I will start back off with episode 4 and we will we will go from there for the rest of the 6 episodes of Star Wars Visions. Yeah, maybe I'll watch the episodes I never finished. Yeah. If you don't watch episode 8, at least watch episode 9 because I do want to get your opinions on a couple aspects of it okay but yeah do you want to do a quick segment of like what we've been like i know it's only been like a week but like what we've been watching recently if there's anything new you would like to update the people on (laughs) not really because i caught up the blue period (laughs) and i watched an episode of the show called uh heike monogatari and Mm -hmm. it's very it's a historical anime with a heavy emphasis on Japanese history I have I have no background with, so I'm very lost watching this show. Oh. But yeah, I think I'll have to like I don't know if I'll like talk about it. I don't know how much of it is like you know how sometimes when in like Western media you have like historical drama or something they take a lot of liberties with it yeah 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 depend depending on the on if it's like 
trying to be a full historical, like, one for one or if it's, like, for entertainment. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know how much of it is, like, this is an entirely fictional kind of family they're following through actual historical events or if it's, like, a retelling of an actual historical event but with fantasy elements. Um, oh. I, I mean, obviously, th there are fantasy elements because one of the major characters can, like, see how someone's going to die. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> you know, like you do. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, as has happened in history. But, like you do. Yeah, I think, like, no one's fucking watched this show. I think because it's one of those things that, like, weebs don't really watch historical shows. I think because western fans don't have that background in japanese history to understand what the fuck is happening because mm -hmm. once you get past stuff that's historical like the way i don't know demon slayer is, is historical people just kind of drop off i guess yeah like you can have historical as a setting yeah but like it seems like there is a handful count them on one hand amount of actual legitimate like historical animes that have ever done well enough to be remembered mm -hmm. but yeah i've been trying to watch more anime that is i want to say geared more towards japanese audiences and maybe older japanese audiences just to see mm -hmm. the kind of things that aren't for because, like, right now the big thing is isekai, and I'm not really into it, but everybody's watching it, and I don't really care. Oh, yeah, no, I don't <laughs> care either. Like, a friend messaged me and was like, hey, do you have any recommendations for isekai? And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Here's a handful, because they're on my list that I've been meaning to watch, and those are that's about it. Mm -hmm. This is not a genre I enjoy. Yeah, like, I tried to watch one last season, and it just devolved into a harem, and it was stupid and annoying, and I hated it. <laughs> Ugh. That's always the worst. Yeah. But, um, pretty much I haven't had time to actually catch up on anything else. And Blue Period just ended, so I have to go finish that. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just... I think it's getting a second season, because if it's ending where I thought it... Fuck is that? Hello. Sorry, I'm looking at the <laughs> the anime list I have. I'll show me reviews, and mm. someone gave Blue Period a three out of ten, and I'm gonna fight them. Oh no! Get the ass. Do them dirty in front of their squad. Depending on if their review is reasonable or not, but <laughs> fair enough. Um, I think I saw a Tumblr post about it once, but like, have you ever had that person who has no idea you exist? But you fucking hate them? Yes. Like your worst enemy has never you met not you. Remember, do you not remember my absolute unhinged 10 minute rant about Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> Absolutely yes. This is an idea <laughs> I am intensely familiar with. <laughs> um, but there's this guy on this anime list I use. And he changed his username recently because the other one was like both racist and pedophilic somehow uh what <laughs> yes great combo oh but he was no. one of, I, I, 
I noticed him because I kept seeing her his reviews and stuff I was watching. And most people do not watch the stupid amount of anime that I do. So I was like, oh, this uh-huh. is interesting. A kindred spirit. Absolutely not a kindred spirit. He really does not like a lot of shoujo. A lot of the shows he likes are very, like, big titty, no substance. Hmm. Which, like, to uh-huh. each their own. But it's a little suspicious that this person consistently dislikes things that are aimed towards women. But apparently, like, everything that's ever been written for men is, like, deep and worth his time and stuff. Jesus fucking Christ. He's one of those. (laughs) I just get very bad vibes from him, and I hate seeing his reviews. And you can't block users on this website for some reason, so I keep seeing... No, no. you can block them, but you can still see the shit they post for reviews and stuff. So I have to see his bullshit every time I open a new anime, and I hate it. Anime reviewer, my detested parentheses, yeah. absolutely derogatory. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's yeah. Terrible. If I ever see him in real life, it's on site. But on site, I I got you, homie. I'll support you. I'll back you up. <laughs> oh, it would not be pretty. We would not like each other. Oh god, that's awful. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, but there's there's my meaning rant about someone who doesn't realize I exist. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's been my week. How about you? Uh, fucking, it's been all JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Nice. Like, I'm aware that it is a series that I have slept on, but I have to yeah. say the ex- the experience. No, you don't understand the experience <laughs> of knowing about the to be continued meme. <laughs> For several years, out of context, and not knowing it's from the ending of, like, 90% of the episodes of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure took me the fuck out. No one told me (laughs) that it was from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I thought it was just a meme that popped up on (gasps) Tumblr one day, back when Vine was still a thing. Um... (laughs) Because even Griffin fucking McElroy made one. <laughs> that was a good one. Was that like, was funny. Yeah. I legitimately thought it was just a meme <sighs> that popped up from the ether one day. Like most memes do. Mm-hmm. And so we wa- we were watching the very first episode of JoJo's. Or like the second episode. Whenever the first time it kicks in of part one. And I hear the music kick in. And it just took me the fuck out. I was <laughs> laughing so hard. I started crying. Because I just wasn't expecting it. It was like a gut punch to the solar That's plexus. So That's the this is the only way you should experience that. It was so good. I would I wouldn't have had it any other way. Like because I had that experience, I am glad I slept on JoJo to the point where the to be continued meme is just baked into my subconscious and I had no context for it. And then that happened. It was very good. It was very good all around. Yes. But basically, Jack and I binged the first two seasons in, like, a week and some change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're... We haven't started part three yet, but, like, that's where we are is is starting part three. I love Jonathan. He has a single brain cell. Jonathan Joestar, the first JoJo. <laughs> he has a single brain cell. He's, he's the dumbest motherfucker. And I love him. I love how 
instantly ride or die any introduced sidekick character is. It's yes. so good. That's my one of my favorite aspects is that immediately any introduced assigned sidekick is just 100% ride or die. Like Speedwagon. He's trying to mug him. <laughs> and then is like, you know what? No, Miss, Mr. Joestar, I would die for you, actually. <laughs> Oh my god, what a what a turn. I love Baron Zeppeli. I love his grandson in part two so much. R.I.P. in pieces, Caesar. I miss you every day, King. Um <laughs> fucking took me out. I love Joseph. I love Dio, but like in a my detested sort of way. Like I think he's oh, a sure. a very cool villain. Mm-hmm. Like, for as overly dramatic and, like, bombastic and ridiculous as JoJo is, it is strangely, like, emotionally grounded, which I think is part of why it has survived for so long, because it is incredibly ridiculous and out there and funky and buck wild. But it always plays by the rules set in its own contained universe, like, it's grounded in that way because it always plays by its own rules. And it also is weirdly emotionally grounded. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, the characters are allowed, even though they're these big buff muscle men, they feel their feelings a lot of the time. There's a lot of crying. Which is great, considering this came out in, like, fucking 1987. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the fact that they are, like, in touch with their emotions to a degree while also being, like big masculine beefy muscle men is like very refreshing but like it, it's it's weirdly emotionally grounded i like that they have friendships like immediate friendships and like family loyalties and just like they have personalities beyond the like fighting aspect of the show and they all have well maybe not jonathan because he's kind of <laughs> dumb as a bag of bricks but all of the other JoJo's uh, have interesting quirks and aspects. I say that lovingly. I love Jonathan Joestar because he's a dum-dum. Um, <laughs> uh, because he has a single brain cell. I have only seen part two, but currently my favorite Joestar is Joseph Joestar mm-hmm. from part two. Because like, his special power is just being really good at like practical stage magic tricks like clearly god like the amount that he that he actually accomplishes with sleight of hand and misdirection Mm -hmm. like i'm pretty sure araki did research into stage magician stuff oh probably because he's just very good at it to a point that like you had to have done some research on at least the practical like the practical fundamentals of of sleight of hand and misdirection um but i think that's why he's my favorite also i will give jojo props because the handful of times there have been brown or black characters they have genuinely not been like awful stereotyped fucking pulled from american oh they don't look like blackface they're not minstrel art yeah Like, they don't have bright pink donut lips. Oh, God, I hate that so much. Literally, like, they put the color picker on the straight-up color (laughs) black and used that as a skin Mm -hmm. tone. Like, 
as far as the anime goes, they look like normal. Every time I've seen it, like a brown character, they look like a normal person. And it's, I hate that I have to say it's refreshing, <laughs> but it's genuinely refreshing in an anime. Yeah, they, they look as normal as the other characters in the show, which like is in this very kind of. It's very stylistic. Oh, granted. yeah, for sure. Like everyone has. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I like that they don't have like a specific, distinct like black people style. So yeah, everyone has luscious lips, luscious kissable lips in JoJo. Um, <laughs> that's just the style. So it's not like yeah, it's just none of the brown characters so far have been a caricature, which has been really nice. Like I really do love the ride or die instant pickup sidekick Smokey from season two. Again, Rob's Jojo, Jonathan Jojo Joestar, and then is immediately, like, saved by him and is like, sir, I would die for you. (laughs) And he just shows up a bunch of times, and he's just, like, literally along for the ride, and I love him. I wish we saw more of him, actually. Um, I looked up Jojo in my anime list for some reason, and someone wrote a review uh-huh. for the first season and uh-huh. you know you know how on discord if you type something stupid you get the like multiple people are typing thing at the bottom yes oh no <laughs> so this person wrote a review for jojo that gave it three out of ten and there are like a ton of comments on the review every other review has like maybe one or two comments this one has 16 because people are like what are you talking about homie this man's (laughs) art has been in the the fucking louvre the fucking (laughs) french museum of fine art like i think in this case you might be incorrect (laughs) yeah i think the problem is is that jojo is like very in your face it's very over the top and ridiculous does not yes. take itself seriously. And no. this seems like the kind of person who does not like shonen, especially does not like something this ridiculous. Ugh. They're getting torn apart in the comments. Um it's, listen, you play stupid games when stupid prizes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like I think the the point where they cross over from like this isn't my cup of tea into just being kind of shitty about it is the way their review seems to be that like Shonen is stupid, and especially if you like the show, you're extra stupid for liking it because only brain dead people would like this. I'm like, mm, okay. Think, like, I'm sorry you've never had fun in your life. Yeah, no, honestly, this is one of the only valid Shonen shows. Thank you very much. <laughs> I genuinely, like, for the most part, genuinely, I can't stand a lot of Shonen. I find it boring mm-hmm. and repetitive. But, like, JoJo is literally a standout series because it doesn't take itself seriously. It allows itself to be ridiculous within the confines of the set rules of the universe it's created. Also, just visually, it's amazing. Like, Araki has such a distinct, incredible style that is still entrenched in the very 80s style because that's when he started. And he just hasn't, like... Yes, he went from more impossible, like, muscle structures from the (laughs) earlier series to the more current ones where everyone is a little more slender but still very muscular. 
because he like the times changed, but his style is still very distinctive in that 80s feeling way. Like it doesn't look like a modern anime mm-hmm. or manga, which I really appreciate because I also think a lot of like modern anime styles are very bland and ugly. Yeah. It looks very like factory produced, which I, I understand why, but it, I know, it just but like, every t- where's the flavor? Where's the seasoning? Every time I think about it, I think about that fucking post on Tumblr that's about <laughs> look at what selective breeding has done to cat girls. <laughs> Why is she so smooth? Why is she, where's her nose? Does she have breathing problems? <laughs> um, She's been bred like a pug. Yeah, that's literally what happened is just <laughs> a lot of mass-produced anime has just completely lost all sense of style. And I think that's something that's really sad that isn't talked about a whole lot. Like, a lot of mid-2000s to now anime is, like, genuinely quite ugly. Yeah. Or just not inspired at all in terms of, like, it doesn't have a unique style that really, like, hooks you in. Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate, because that that was what got me into anime, was a lot of, like, more unique styles of, like, Helsing and Fullmetal Alchemist and Death Note, the manga, specifically. Mm-hmm. And, like, watching older stuff in the from the 80s, like Fist of the North Star, which is very visually, if not almost identical to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, I just think it's, I just think it's sad that, like, a lot of anime has lost the unique style that it used to, to have. I hope yeah. it comes back on, like, a recurve and they start doing more unique buckwild shit again. Yeah, I'm hoping that with it becoming more popular that we see more of it. Because even the stuff... I'm gonna look back on what I watched this year, but I think... I'm just real salty about how many isekai anime are being made that all have super long titles that are indistinguishable from each other. And then are all the same generic bullshit yep like there aren't any true differences in between them like literally i think the list that i gave to my friend was like the one about the girl who wanted to be a librarian who dies and then is reborn into a world where reading and books are only something that the rich can do and she's like fuck you i'm about to give everyone public education (laughs) but also while i'm in the body of this sickly 10 year old (laughs) Like, I forget what that one's called, but that one's been pretty well-reviewed and is, like, a unique standout isekai anime. Mm -hmm. I've heard good things about the slime one. (laughs) Okay. That's been on my list, was the funny slime one, where the dude gets reincarnated as slime. I think there might have been one or two more, but, like, genuinely, it it is not a genre I have any interest in, because it's usually... Bland, repetitive, or used for horny harem reasons, and that's boring it is (laughs) yeah but we should probably wrap up yeah so yeah when we come back next time we'll spend another two hours talking about star wars visions who boy (laughs) that'll be fun you can find us on twitter instagram and facebook at two leaves pod or you can email us at weebsinatrenchcoat at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a Discord, which we'll have a link to it on Twitter. Is that too- I feel like Twitter is too dangerous. I mean, we can also just put it in the episode description for people yeah, who let's do that. listen to the episode. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. So you can find the link to our Discord in the episode description. We have a bunch of channels that have nothing to do with anime, and it's a good time. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> the opening theme is My Way by Vintney, and the music they're listening to right now is What's the Angle by Shane Ivers. And I'm Madison. And I'm Suzanne. And, uh, like, hey, if there's a ship that looks like a- already looks like a butt plug, <laughs> maybe don't use it in a design that are- that then looks ten times stupider. <laughs> as a note, as a note. Why is that your ending quote? Because I'm just- it's still bothering me. I don't like the double ship. It's- I don't like it. Okay. Fair. Come back next week for more hot takes <laughs> like that. 